Hello and welcome back to Cause and Tone of Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the fifth chapter of Blood of Elves. Uh, once again, I am joined by Joshua Rapier. Hello. Hello, hello. So this this chapter um, is very different from all the other ones. You know, we had uh, the sort of training chapters and the, the, the road trip chapter. Uh, now Siri is separated from Geralt, and this is sort of Geralt Adventures in Oxenfurt to cut off the head of a snake, I suppose, to stop Ryan's from tracking Siri down. Uh, that will continue into uh, the next chapter. But I have long talked about uh, the reception of this novel um, and uh, and how it is slower, it's paced differently, um, and I think this chapter exemplifies exactly what I was talking about, um, both for good and for ill. Okay, interesting. And um, what I wanted to ask you is, having come from the TV show, you you watched second season and you've read this uh, book, and the second season quote unquote adapts this book very minorly but it does a lot to make it more palatable for a tv audience i'm not sure if i really agree with a lot of their changes but i understand where they came from to a certain extent and um i think what really exemplifies uh this entire thing is that essentially blood of elves does not have a plot uh story and plot are separate i assume you know this but i will explain mm -hmm. to the, the general audience. Uh, I explained it in my Babylon 5 stuff, but just in case there are new people, you know, plot is like general major events of, you know, A goes to B, you know, etc. Um, story is character development, uh, character growth, um, major revelations about uh, themselves in some way. It is the conflict that drives the plot. You can have a plotless story. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I know in the modern day, we kind of put a huge emphasis on plot and the, the importance of plot. Uh, but plot actually doesn't matter as much as story, in my opinion. Um, and so I've had people read this book and go, where's the plot? There is no plot. It's just Ryan's is tracking down Siri. Okay, that, that's the extent of the plot in Blood of Elves. It's, it's a character building book. Um, and that is both for good and for ill. I think chapter five really shows that Sapkowski was not a novel writer, that he was, he started out, uh, writing short stories. Um, you know, the entire scene on the boat, while fun, and there's some interesting foreshadowing if you know what's going down the line, it could have been cut a lot, um, and sort of, uh, moved back to, uh, to, to, uh, continue forward some more quote-unquote interesting stuff. I'm not saying that the, bo the boat stuff wasn't interesting. I'm saying for the majority of audiences. So I wanted your opinion on, now that you've actually finish, officially finished Blood of Elves um, mm -hmm. uh, compared to the last time, what is your thought on the overall perception of this book and the fact that it technically does not have a plot? Yeah, you make a very good point. This chapter in particular, I believe I talked about this last time, but this whole book feels very episodic. Each chapter feels like its own little chunk with all these flash forwards, jumping forwards in time for in a new location. And it's only through Dalek you get really get a glimpse of what happened in between that time. Mm -hmm. um, I really like this chapter, to be fair. Like I, I yeah. understand your point about how it's kind of cuttable out. It kind of doesn't add much to the remains of the story or plot. But I found it quite a good breather from the previous, you know, very heavy, very powerful, strong uh, chapter, you know, mm -hmm. The Death of the Dwarf. Uh, it was just quite, it was just funny. Is this Geralt on the boat just chilling out with these guys? You've got the annoying <laughs> snot kid Everett, the, the merchants and all that. Uh, and then later on in the chapter, you get context for it, like, oh, it's all part of his trap. That's a nice little, little twist there. Plus, there's a mm -hmm. dandelion chapter. So, you, you know, I had to talk <laughs> about that. I, oh, yeah. I love me some dandelion. <laughs> yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying, and I do like this chapter. I, I do not want this to be like, a, oh, Kyle doesn't like... No, I really do like this chapter. It's just that having read these books multiple times, knowing what's coming down the pike and, and whatnot, that he does get stronger in his novel writing as time goes on. And Eastern European literature does have a different pace to, um, to more Western literature, and especially modern literature. Um, as such, that needs to be taken into account. However, 
Um, I do think Blood of Elves has a handful of pacing issues here and there, and some things could be tightened up. Not that I mind it, necessarily. I can read Blood of Elves just fine, no problem, but a lot of people had that issue with it. And uh, for good or for ill, that's that's the way Netflix saw it. That's that's why Netflix made as much changes as it, as it did to this book, um, is because it is quote-unquote unadaptable because of just how slow... Um, and plotting it is, and uh, much more character-focused. Um, and in my notes, I likened it to a Babylon 5 episode called Day of the Dead. Um, the, that, was, that was an episode of Babylon 5 that I talked about previously that also doesn't have a plot. Um, the, the, the big thing is, oh, well, uh, there's this religious ceremony where we go and we talk to our uh, our dead that meant something to us, but they kind of show up too. Um, and who knows if it's magical or if it's science or whatnot. No one really cares, and it's never answered, because who really needs the answer? Um, and that's the extent of the plot. Most of it is, you know, Londo you know, meeting his dead lover, uh, you know, Garibaldi meeting Dodger one last time. Uh, you know, Lanier meeting Morden and seeing that he's going down a dark path. Uh, you know, Lockley, um, you know, meeting her dead best friend who, uh, whose death led her out of her drug abuse. You know, it's all about character beats and character flow and story rather than plot. And uh, and in within the Babylon Five, uh fandom that episode is controversial some people love it some people hate it um and um you know it's written by neil gaiman oh really oh that's cool yeah i don't know what they were expecting because neil gaiman is famous for not really having a plot in his work it's more story than anything um and i i i enjoy day of the dead i really like it uh is it the best to be five oh hell no but it is a good uh character centric B5 deal in the final season to say goodbye to these characters so it fits. But here, the story is just starting. And so for some people, there's this dissonance. You know, with Day of the Dead, like I said, last season, we're saying goodbye to everyone. Um, in, uh, in this, you know, we've had the short stories, but potentially, because of the way things are marked down e even nowadays, some people pick up Blood of Elves as their first book because Amazon says it's book number one even though it's book Whoops. three. <laughs> yeah. So some people have a hard time with it. I, I think it's an interesting economy because it doesn't really bother me all that much. And the pacing, while I do think there's some issues and some bits you can tighten up, I wouldn't really want that in the general because I do like what we have. But it is a, a, a sour spot for a lot of people that they they don't ever go forward in the in the uh, in the series because Blood of Elves was too slow. Mm. So the, the, this is uh, bounding off of that. Which have you been more intrigued by? Uh, you know, Witcher season two or Blood of Elves? Ooh, interesting. I'm going to go with the book, because the book, I feel like it gives me more insight into, into these characters and this world building. You know, we, we get to visit these new locations like the river and the Oxenfurt, you know, and that's mm. in this chapter alone. But I do understand, like you said, I can understand from a general audience perspective why they had to make changes, why they had to make it more, you know, engaging, action heavy, faster paced. Mm. But I just feel like they completely jumped the boat. I feel like there should have been like a middle point mm. where you could respect the source material, but still add, add this new material if they feel like it was worth it to, to engage to people. Because I, I mentioned this last time, the first like few chapters of this book, I can really recognize in the series. But after that, it just becomes its own beast. Mm -hmm. It's virtually totally different thing mm -hmm. uh, i've had many different ideas of how you would adapt you know uh blood of elves because you know i like i like slow paced stuff um and so like uh I, I i really like the outlander book series and the tv series and that's just a bunch of people hanging out on a on a ranch in north carolina not doing anything while the 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 revolutionary war happens around them you know um and uh so it's like i enjoy that kind of pace but not everyone else does and so I, I, you know, I can understand why Netflix did some of what they did. I don't agree with a lot of their choices, and I think some of it verges on character assassination. But I understand where their thought process was. 
whether he was good choices or not is another thing. And I agree, there was a middle ground to be had there. You know, I I personally, when season one dropped and they they quickly rushed through the short stories and I was like, okay, they're going to go to the saga as soon as possible. That makes sense. Well, uh, there's a handful of short stories they didn't adapt. They could drop those in to sort of, especially for Blood of Elves, to spread that out. Um, and they can also move some stuff from time or early early chapters of Time of Contempt into here and sort of start that stuff rolling. That was my thought process of what they were going to do. I was completely mm. wrong. I was completely wrong. I, I thought a major event from Time of Contempt was going to happen in the second season. I fully expected it, and it didn't happen. I'm kind of impressed that they held off on that. Um, <laughs> but... What I got instead was Baba Yaga bullshit that I really did not want and try and forget. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's become a weird, weird obsession lately, Baba Yaga. I swear that's been, that old myth's been showing up in a ton of shows and movies. It's a weird obsession all of a sudden. I mean, it's well known. Um, it, 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 it's the kind of myth that is uh, kind of universal because even though it starts as a mainly Slavic, uh, you know, a myth, so many people know of it. Mm. Like I knew of it, um, when I was like five years old because Arthur, the, the famous American cartoon series, uh, had an episode about it. So you said Arthur, my mind went to King Arthur. <laughs> yeah. No, I will say, uh, Arthur's quite popular here as well, that show. I watched yeah. that a lot as a kid. I, I don't blame you for King Arthur, and that's kind of relevant to uh, Witcher, you'll understand in a bit. Um, I mean, in one of the short stories, I believe it was A Little Sacrifice, uh, Yennefer's name was already uh, sort of bastardized into Guinevere. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but King Arthur is kind of relevant to this series. But uh, neither here nor there. But Arthur had an episode about uh, the treehouse gate growing legs, and that's why I first learned about Baba Yaga. Uh, and so I, I guess that it's sort of a thing everybody knows. So it's an easy myth to go to. Mm, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes, <laughs> but uh, no, like I understand some of the decisions. I don't agree with them, um, and. While I definitely do enjoy Chapter 5, I do think that the segment on the boat can definitely be trimmed down. There's a handful of scenes that I know are foreshadowing, um, but beyond that, like, uh, he he spends a great deal of time making fun of the academic, um, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious because you, 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 you went to university, I went to university, you've met those kind of people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, think, the know-it-alls. Yeah, they, they, they've read one book on the subject and they think they know everything. Yeah. Um, it's when experience meets an academic. Yeah. yeah the, the Professor Linus guy, he just keeps re refusing to accept Geralt's you know, real-world experience with these things. Like, no, there's no way this such species could exist. And then a few minutes later, it's like, my God, I've discovered a new species! <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and like, all that, while fine and dandy and kind of fun, um, I enjoy ribbing academics from time to time myself. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, is it necessary? No, not really. Is it fun? Yes. Mm. Um, and so, um, the, the only thing necessary in the boat chapter is that it's part of the, it's part of the, the trap that will conclude in the next chapter and the foreshadowing, the stuff that's about to happen, uh, with Kings, uh, the, 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 all the rulers, uh, and the, uh, the false flag event that they're going to, that, that they were, they're planning, uh, through most of chapter six. Um, and so outside of that, and some of the finance stuff, like you can see that his finance degree is coming in where everybody kind of feels like something's on the horizon because they're following the money and realizing this money is not being used the way everybody thought it was, um, etc. But no, I, I think it's interesting just the way different people react to this novel. I don't mind either way, really. And I was interested to see your perspective because you came from uh the tv show which is a lot more action heavy and uh made so many changes to this novel because of that so i think the um major thing i want to talk about outside of that is your perspective Geralt in popular culture has a particular uh view on him 
um, thinks of games and thinks to Henry Cavill, etc. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, that has created some issues. Um, there is, uh, especially the games are the most, um, uh, the most egregious with this of Geralt the Sex God, where he, uh, every woman wants to sleep with him, all that jazz. Um, I did the math, he only sleeps with a grand total of ten people in the course of these eight books, one of which is the love of his life, Yennefer, and one of which he was manipulated into, and the other one was potentially non-consensual. So, I want your opinion on pop culture Geralt versus book Geralt, especially because this chapter features a medical student, a young medical student, uh, Shani, uh, mm -hmm. sl sleeping with Geralt out of scientific curiosity, because she wants to understand mutant anatomy. Oh, that's what it's about. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to ask, that did kind of come out of nowhere to me. Mm -hmm. uh, my reasoning was it that I, like, because the beginning of the chapter, you've got that wonderful scene with Geralt reading the letter that Yennefer sent to him, the mm. dear friend one. And I took that as, uh, I don't know, I guess he got frustrated by that and he just wants to, you know, release the energy, if you will. <laughs> so this attractive medical student comes along. It's like, yeah, sure, <laughs> let's do it. I, I, I mean, yeah, that that is Geralt's reasoning for it, definitely. Um, you know, Shawnee's reasoning, I, I think, is really shown in uh, the bit where Dandelion asks for her assistance, and mm -hmm. and she's and he's like, uh, and he goes up and he whispers, and he's like, "Hey, I, 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 got my good friend coming. You can meet him. He's a Witcher." And she has that line of, "Ooh, I've never seen one up close." Um, and she's a medical student, and think about that for a second. And so yeah. it's it's pure scientific curiosity, but. Because of this, and because this is in this chapter, this is kind of perfect way to talk about it. Of course, you haven't read the rest of the books, but mm -hmm. you're, you're three books in. Um, and, you know, Geralt has slept around a little bit, and so is Yen. Uh, so I want your perspective, because some people accuse this series of quote-unquote sexism, uh, because mm -hmm. every woman wants to sleep with Geralt. Not a fact I agree with at all, and while people are okay to, um, you know, accuse it of sexism, I don't really care. I do think that the Witcher books go out of their way to expose patriarchal ideas, mm -hmm. um, and uh, expose them for the fraud that they are, and this is explicitly built into the mage mentality where women have to be young and beautiful and men have to be old and wise because that's the only way for people to take them seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, what is your opinion on pop culture understanding of this franchise and Geralt as the sex god in general? Oh boy, that's a heavy one. Yeah. <laughs> the ironic thing is, uh, I think we talked about this in, in the past, but the most I know about the games is the sex stuff. Like, that's something <laughs> that was talked about a lot online, you know. Again, mm -hmm. the infamous unicorn scene, which I was amazed to find out was a real thing from the <laughs> books. So that is weird, that. That's like... That being the, let's say, the internet gateway to the series. Mm -hmm. It's not the first thing I think of when I think of Geralt. I don't like to associate <laughs> sex god to him. <laughs> but I guess I can see why. Uh, he mm -hmm. loves to swing both swords around. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> On one hand, I, can, I guess I can understand why people would consider it sexist. But I don't think it's from a particularly cruel uh, standpoint. I feel like... From what I have seen so far, I do feel like the female characters are developed nicely. Like they, it's their own conscious decision whether they have sex or not. There's this nice conversation in the next chapter between Siri and Jennifer about how all this virgin rubbish is just mm -hmm. absolute toss. Uh, stop thinking about it so hard and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, casting Henry Cavill probably didn't help. You know, the, uh, <laughs> the whole sex god thing. The internet is very thirsty for that fella. <laughs> yeah. So that that certainly added far to the fuel. I guess when I think of Book Geralt, I guess he kind of just goes with emotions most of the time. With Yennefer, yeah. I'm gaining a sense that it's it's a much more passionate response. But with others like Shani, in particular instance, I suppose it is as you say. She had she has a scientific interest in him, and he's like, "Fuck it, yeah, let's go for it." Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this in Shard of Ice. Geralt and Yen don't view sex as like this sacred act. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it, it's more of a, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's more of a release of emotions. Uh, and so they both sleep around. It, it isn't like these, this bond 
uh you know between husband wife whatever whatever allegory you want to do um and so they they do sleep around and i do think that the the amount of people that uh that that they go oh girl's sex god every every woman throws herself at him um it's mainly from a game perspective because the games do lean into that a lot yeah, so weirdly, well, I'm going to say weirdly, I, I fully understand why it's popular, but that is a game mechanic that pops up a lot, especially in that, like, late 2000s era, where I guess people really wanted to push for the 18 R-rated thing, so it pops up in a lot of games like God of War and um, other 18 stuff that's just like, press X to have sex, yeah. this will get the teenagers buying our games, <laughs> don't tell your parents. Is this a very, you know, obviously desperate grab for for attention? The Witcher one is the worst of it. Um, it has an entire collectible card game around sleeping with people that you basically, if you sleep with someone, you get a risque uh, card of them. Is that how Gwent started? No, Gwent is from the books. Uh, yeah. But Gwent works very differently from what it does in the games. In the books, it will be introduced in Baptism of Fire, if memory serves, and it is called Beryl in English translation, but it is called Gwent in normal Polish. Um, it, uh, it's, a, it's like Blackjack is the closest human analog. The, the collectible card game of Gwent doesn't show up to Witcher 3. Witcher 1, like I said, had a collectible card game with, like, risky deals you know sleeping with people which are two some quests uh could only be ended you know by sleeping with people and then witcher 3 has several brothels you can go to as well as um you know uh the the obvious fight between yen and tris and and then of course there are other uh, other romances like shani for instance because shani's in that game uh, that you can go down, etc. The games really exemplified that. And I think that affected the way people view Witcher. Because if you read the books, yeah, he does sleep around on occasion. Like I said, I did the math total of 10 people, one of which is Yen. Uh, one of which, like I said, is a manipulation tactic in the future. And then one, that being Triss, is implied to be almost non-consensual because of magic. There is... This thing where, um, you know, it, it's seen almost as the quote-unquote male fantasy, straight male mm -hmm. fantasy in particular, which, fine, I get, I, like, people are allowed to have their opinions, and I don't <laughs> really mind, uh, but it's not one I agree with. I am very attached to this series for many numerous things, and I do not come to it because of, oh, Geralt getting it on, or whatever, like, that. that's the last thing on my mind. Like... Uh, I'm I'm here for the the, the father daughter story. I'm here for the wonderful romance between Yen and and Geralt that is beautifully flawed, um, and I'm here for the philosophy and I'm here for the um, the historical parallels. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm just here for good here for good storytelling, good characters. Yeah, you're here for a good time, not a good time. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's an interesting thing of how Witcher has kind of been perceived by. Uh, larger pop culture and compare that to the books where it has some of that but not as much as people think it does mm. um, and uh, most people turn to a scene from Time of Contempt um, where Geralt is basically being treated like a hunk of meat uh, by a bunch of people and go well th this is obviously what we're talking about I'm like yeah but that has political ramifications and also they're trying to piss off Yen that will make sense when you read it you know not to spoil anything so like it, it, from a character standpoint it makes perfect sense and it never happens afterwards so you know um, it, it was very clearly a we're here to piss off Yen because that's who we are <laughs> um, so no I, I was just interested to see your, your thoughts on that because it has colored the way this series is perceived. Go online and you'll see plenty of arguments and, and whatnot. I know Claudia, for instance, when I started the retrospective with her, um, she was told many years prior to that retrospective that uh, that Witcher was a um, was only for men kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, that's ludicrous. That cultural perception of the franchise does color the experience. I, I'm glad that it didn't really bother you, but like, it is it is a thing that I worry about sometimes uh, because I want more people to experience these books, and I know that that has caused issue. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the books go into any extreme detail about the act. It, it hardly shows up itself. It's just more, more so the after effects of it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a particularly like lewd series, from my, from I can tell. Yeah, in 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 even the, uh, you know, sometimes when it quote unquote describes the act, it's done for comedic purposes, such as a <laughs> thing, thing later, or it's done to show character. Uh, for instance, the the one that always pops in my head is uh, the scene between Gien and Geralt in something more. Uh, they hadn't seen each other for years, and they were finding each other again through that. Um, and it was more of an act of of sort of two two lost souls finding each other again and becoming one quote unquote the symbolism of marriage blah 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 but it's just interesting to see how that that colored perception going to less serious stuff um you know from talking uh storytelling style and perception of uh, of general series i know you're a dandelion guy what do you think of dandelion being a spy love it <laughs> what a legend it's just fun. It's just him talking about how much he loves this this glorious city with all these, you know, opportunities, shall we say, arts and craft. And the whole while he's just casually just avoiding being captured by these really obvious, really bad spies. Uh, and then he does, does that great back and forth between the the head spy guy. Uh, I don't know how Thanks to pronounce his name. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the spy master versus the poet. It's wonderful witty stuff because they both mm-hmm. know the line of the asses. You know. I love how the the text talks about it, like you know, lies, Yaskia, lies. <laughs> yeah, there's that that bit where uh, Dijkstra catches Dandelion in a lie, but he doesn't want to say that he caught yeah. it, so he just <laughs> casually smirks. Yeah, it's this wonderful <laughs> petty uh, <laughs> passive aggression the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. What what I find interesting is that you know he's working for a spy for Redania, and everybody's talking about oh you know you're in it for the money, and Dijkstra even talks about this. But we know Dandelion, we know the real Dandelion. He's not in for that. It's because the events of something more scared him, mm. um, and he is scared of what this world is going to go into. Uh, he's scared of Nilfgaard. He and he's scared for his friends, and so he's doing what he thinks is right. The only way he knows how and the only way he knows to use his skill set for quote-unquote greater good purposes. Uh, Whether helping Dijkstra is a good thing or not is up for debate, Um, but he is trying to the best of his ability. Mm. Yeah. I I think that's an interesting economy because as we go along, you know, there'll be more interesting stuff for Dandelion to do, but I think it's safe to say, if you know, from the short stories and from this book, uh, you know, at the heart of it, Dandelion is a coward. Um, but he's a coward who wants to do right. And so mm. that, that dichotomy of getting in over his head, being scared out of his mind, but still willing to put up a fight for his, for his best friend and for his best friend's daughter and for the world that he believes in, you know, he's going to do it. Like, 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 it's a natural extension of what I talked about when we first talked about Out of the World. He's a poet that sees a world hurting, and so he mm. does. And so he tries to mend that wound through the only way a poet can, through song. Mm. Um, and uh, and now that the world is in a much darker place, he does it in a more practical means as well. He is now working as a spy. You know, mm. yeah, he's very much a bastard with a heart of gold type character, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it brings me back to what we talked about regarding season two. Like, I really liked what they touched upon of him helping smuggle elves to a land of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like seeing that sense of you know urgency or purpose to him, of him using his talents as like a, a cover up for what's really going on. And that's something I wish that season had focused more on because towards mm-hmm. the later end they just turned him into that joke type character again. Uh, yeah. And that's something you know if they could introduce that spy element in future series, I'd be very much up for that they 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 hint at it at the season Mm. finale uh because um he talks about that he has a benefactor helping him uh uh, and in in the final 15 minutes which is setting up all the stuff 
at the last minute for uh for book four because instead of moving that stuff ahead we introduced baba yaga so now we have to do quick uh fixing of the timeline things uh make sure everybody's where they need to be for book four <laughs> to happen um uh when uh Dijkstra is talking to philippa in owl form because I'll know they they decided to keep her as an owl the entire season. Um, you know, uh, he, he says, "Go get me the bard." You know, it's time he meets his benefactor. They they hint at that he's that he is working uh, with Dijkstra. Uh, Dandelion uh, is an interesting character, and I agree that they the show could have leaned in more than that. And we've talked about that before. You know that yeah. I I wish more of Book Dandelion was there because Book Dandelion is a dandy. He is humorous. He is the comic relief. But there's also more than that. Mm. Um, and the show kind of goes for a surface-level examination of that character. Um, and there's a, hu- a few bits where you see Book Dandelion occasionally, especially in uh, Joey Beatty's performance. And I think it's more of his performance than it is the script, definitely. Mm. Um, but here, this is a Dandelion who is trying his best. And I, and I think that that would be an interesting road to go down. And like I said, they did hint at he's working for Dijkstra. So, um, they could go down that road. Speaking of Dijkstra and Philippa, we get introduced to two major, uh, figures that are going to be important for the rest of the books here. Uh, Dijkstra, the head of the Redanian secret service, um, the good old spy master, and then Philippa Eilhart. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my one of my personal favorite characters, or as you affectionately called her in text when you first finished uh, season two, Owl Lady. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on them? Spoiler warning, because he may talk about stuff from chapter six. I'll mm-hmm. get into more on that when I actually talk about chapter six, because Philippa plays a big, huge part in that. But what are your thoughts on the characters so far, especially because the show went a different way with them? I mean, honestly, I, I didn't even connect the spy master with the guy in the sh- uh, with the guy in the show. That connection did not cross my mind at all. <laughs> but of course, with Philippa, it was a it was a lot more obvious. You know, what with the whole owl shapeshifting, so that made that connection up much easier. I like I said, I really liked the scene with him and Dandelion. I nearly said Yasko again. It gets it's getting very confusing. Use whichever term you want. I don't mind. Yeah, I really like the scene with Dandelion. Uh, I like the description of. He doesn't look like a, a typical spy, you know. He's he's this fat, whaleish-looking bloke who looks like he's asleep, but he's he's got this great intellectual mind. Uh-huh. And if people, if he says the sun is falling or whatever, people will believe him. Yeah, uh, that's a nice little introduction. Uh, I didn't get the sense he was going to be a major character, but now you mention it, that I guess that makes a lot of sense. So I'll certainly keep my eye out for him in, for both book and the show. Uh, he's played by Graham McTavish in the show. Uh, who I thought was excellent casting, even though I don't like everything that they do uh, with, you know, Witcher. I do think that that was excellent casting on their part. Philippa, I was looking forward to, because you mentioned a lot about her in the past. I do mm-hmm. love, I love owls. I love shapeshifting, so I felt like a good old combination. Nice little introduction to her. She's kind of in the middle of, you know, the poet and the spy master banter. And she's like, can we just get on with this, please? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, the sources in the series are always quite interesting whenever a new sourcer pops up because I feel like they always throw in a new dynamic where they, they calm things or just make things even worse. When we saw her two form in the, in the season two finale, I was very intrigued. I didn't know much about her, but between what brief appearance she did have and your talk of her, uh, I became very interested in seeing her more in the future. So now that I know the book stuff, uh, I feel like there's a good foundation for it to go on. So, it's, you know, fingers mm. crossed the show springboards from that properly. There's a lot to talk about with Philippa, and especially when certain actions come to light later. Um, my opinion on Philippa has always been, and this is kind of controversial, is that she's, she's like Lady Shiva. Okay, please go on. I, I, know, I know you love Lady Shiva. We've had many a conversation about her in the past, so I'm, I'm yeah. very intrigued to see where this goes. I know you haven't read all of the questions, so <laughs> but but you know general things that she is. I mean, who of. needs to? Be, I've been I've been to your three hour lectures on the question. I don't <laughs> need to read the books, mate. <laughs> uh, she, she's a she's a major recurring character in that comic series, which I'm sure I will cover at some point on this podcast. But um, Lady Shiva, every time she shows up. There is this sense that the, she's out for whatever interests her. She's a lover of chaos. Um, she revels in that sort of thing, that unpredictability. 
Uh, she is neither good nor evil. She is merely looking out for herself, and that's it. Uh, she is a true neutral character. Um, and that's the way I view Philippa. Um, there is some things that she does that verges on moral bankruptcy. But you understand where she's coming from. Sometimes you understand that it's for, quote-unquote, the greater good, or at least for her own personal opinion of the greater good. Um, and what I see is a true neutral character. Uh, a character that uh, is out for, for not only themselves, but to better the position of people they care about. Quote-unquote, selfishness is viewed as, oftentimes in fiction, as a bad thing. It's like the most evil of evil things. Uh, but uh, I, I hate to break it to people, but selfishness is part of human existence. Mm -hmm. uh, it is built into our biology. We care about ourselves and the continuation of our bloodline before anything else. Um, there's the rare exception, but for the most part, if some random guy is drowning and your kid is drowning, you're going to save your kid first. Um, that is just the way human nature works. Because of that, I have a hard time viewing Philippa as evil. And I, don't, I never thought she was intended to be evil, but I know some people go, oh, she's evil and she does all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, but you understand where she's coming from. I mean, I always agree, and maybe it's morally bankrupt, but... Like, it makes sense from her perspective. Um, and, you know, uh, there is this sense that it's always, it's never about aiding the villain or aiding the, the good guys. A lot of times she's against both. She's out for what is good for her and her constituents before anything mm. else. Um, and I think that that's really shown, you know, in her brief interaction here. Uh, where she's, you know, she's messy about uh, with Dijkstra and Dandelion, and then she uh, has a verbal sparring with Geralt, and then the stuff that happens in the next chapter, where Geralt goes on a lecture to her um, about greater good and and how that uh, leads to uh, horrible ideologies. Um, yes, Geralt is technically right in that, but you also understand where she's coming from. And so it's this kind of weird back and forth that some people have where some people despise her, think she's absolutely evil and can't it can't be respected and blah 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 and also some people like me view her as a true neutral character um, and so have you gotten that sense from her uh, in this book I know that she's only in the, these two chapters but have you gotten that sense from her? Um, it never crossed my mind to consider her evil no she, mm. she's so far been not a proper ally to girl because I do mm. get that sense. It's more of a team up of convenience. Mm -hmm. But no, I haven't considered it evil yet. And what you're talking about makes a lot of sense to me. She's very much, you know, the whole what's in it for me type character. Yeah. Uh, that I'll add, I feel like, I think that I can add a, a nice little clash to Geralt's ideology. I, I've had many a talk about this. This is very, this is a very big talking point in my retrospective uh, with Claudia, so go read it there, uh, which retrospective.wordpress.com of Philippa, as hinted at, uh, is bisexual. I did wonder that, because there was that passage about her, you know, looking at Shani and Shani getting yep. all flustered about it. So I did wonder if that was a, a little subtle nod. Yes, uh, she is indeed bisexual. So... Um, because of this and because of the way that she can be read, it has led to the evil bisexual trope conversation. Mm. Um, I don't agree with this. Like I said, I don't view Philip as evil. I feel I, I view her as a true neutral character. She's in it for herself and her constituents, and that's it. You know, and so like there's this entire thing that we talked about there that, you know, uh neither here nor there, like uh, you know, people can have whatever opinion they want, but I do think that is an interesting thing because it spawns out of the way this character can be interpreted. It depends where your moral line is and what you deem acceptable, and that is ultimately the purpose of the character is do the ends justify the means? Um, and um, is it ever okay to do stuff like that? Um, that is the moral question at the center of the character. I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that, and, you know, obviously my opinion's, you know, pretty clear on that, but it's just uh, an interesting way, you know, sort of viewing from pop culture stuff, because she is a big player in two of the three games, uh, and those games sort of play up the, uh, the, the, the mad sorceress type thing. 
with her. And so that I think that kind of has led to the uh uh to to the view of she's evil because you know the majority of people who talk which are talk about the games uh and now the TV show and very much less the books. Deekstra, uh he'll become a major character as well, but uh what what I love about him is that as you said, you know, he's this big fat oaf. Uh, he, you know, the, 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 the prose passage describes him as looking like a scrubbed pig. Um, you know, he doesn't look anything like a classic spy. He likes dressing up in, you know, garish, bright colors. <laughs> um, and, uh, but his mind is so quick, but it also, it's also very pessimistic, um, and paranoid, you know, good, good traits for a spy. Um, and, uh, from that, uh, you get a sense of that, you know, uh, he, he's a force to be reckoned with. Um, and we'll, we'll see him, you know, go through some stuff later and do some stuff later. Uh, but I, I always like that it's, this is a fun introduction to him, uh, you know, seeing him in his, uh, sort of advisory role as the head of the Secret Service to Vizimir, and then seeing where that goes later, it's a, it's a fun contrast, you'll understand when we get there. Um, but it, it also shows that for him, all of this is a chess game. Dandelion's doing it because he's scared. Philippa's doing it because to her, you know, there is a greater goal she's working towards that will be revealed to later. And for, uh, and for Dijkstra, it's almost a game. The, that kind of thinking and how that can have dire consequences on a larger political scale is interesting. So my final question for you, you know, the dear friend letter is iconic, um, mm -hmm. and, and for good reason. But in uh, in the reputation of this series, you know, you have uh, the Triss thing and the the team Yen team Triss, and um, we didn't really talk about this last time, which it probably should have been since Triss was actually in that that uh, chapter. <laughs> it just wasn't in my notes at the time. Oops. Never done. <laughs> yeah, it, but the dear friend letter does bring the excuse to talk about this. Of you know, if you've read the books, you know it's very clear that there is no team Yen, team Triss. It's just Yen, and that's it, really. <laughs> and and we, we talked about Geralt the Sex God early, and you talked about how the reputation of the games, you know, you knew about like the the unicorn thing, um, and then the you know the show comes along, and and so like there's this perception in the fandom that is slowly dying away thanks to the show about the the team Triss thing. So I want your opinion not only on the awesomeness that is the Dear Friend letter, uh, but also the, 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 the sort of shipping war that only exists because of the games, and how, as primarily a show person, coming into the books, vaguely knowing the games, what your opinion on that is. So first of all, that letter gave me a massive laugh. I was in the work canteen at the time, so I had to hold it in. Didn't want too many questions. But it is just so delightfully catty, and you kind of feel for Geralt, but you get you get he cocked up and he's mm -hmm. getting as as, it, as the letter says just desserts mm -hmm. uh but regarding the whole you know love triangle which just of course had to come up sooner or later mm. i'm not i don't get that sense from either the books or the show like oh, yeah. in the show there's like a little reference that Tress is interested in him but it's not this massive focus i'm getting she's more of a, a good friend to him you know she's she's yes. got that you know party aunt uh, vibe to her which which i like from the show and here i feel like in the book there's that lovely line of um i am but your mistake and girls like it was my mistake as well and mistakes mean a lot to me i don't forget them so i feel like it's less so it's not so much a will they won't they vibe between the three of them it's more so it, it's looking into his character like he knows it's a mistake but he's not gonna like cast her aside or anything because she still means a lot to him, friend-wise. But I guess the games needed something to spice it up. And honestly, I'm I'm impressed the show hasn't gone down that route very hard. I'm I'm impressed the show hasn't yeah. done the whole drawn-out love triangle. So kudos there. <laughs> One of the few kudos I'll give that show. <laughs> to be fair, in the games, I'm trying the best way to explain this so it's not too spoilery, not only for the people, but also for you. They had to find a way to continue the story because the 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 books uh end in a way that very conclusively says this story is done no more mm -hmm. um and uh they had to contrive a way 
to continue the story because the games are a continuation even though they don't really work all that well as continuation because there's a lot of continuity errors but we're not here to talk about that um as a result they didn't want to have Syrian in there too much to uh be especially because the books had not been translated to english yet and the game was going to go be sold on western markets meaning that there's a there is a large portion of the people that would have n have no clue who these characters were um and so Syrian yin don't show up to witcher 3 as such hmm. witcher 1 and 2 is stuck with Geralt who has amnesia uh, and therefore, it's easier to insert the player so that he can ask questions that he would logically already know, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Triss kind of gets a makeover, uh, not only physically, because, like, she's wearing low neckline stuff and has no scars, apparently. Once again, continuity errors. But, you know, that's another, what I mean is makeup is they make her yen. There are several times in the, in the first two games, she just quotes yen. Uh, just verbatim. Um, and uh, they fix that later. But it has the unintended consequence of basically making her look incredibly creepy. The Blood of Elves chapter where she's introduced, there's the talk about that she uh, fell in bed with Geralt through not only her own infatuation with him, but a little help of magic. So there's this implied non-consensuality to it. Yeah, magic roofy. Yeah. Obviously, Geralt didn't mind it too much, and in Chapter 4, he has that bit where we see through Ciri's eyes, uh, where Ciri's talking with Yarpin, and so we get to see the scene, you know, it's up to interpretation exactly the exact words were said, but it is from Yarpin's dialogue. It's very clear that Geralt had a stern conversation with her that says, you're my friend, not my lover, um, basically, and that you're important to me, but not in that way. Mm. In the games, because Geralt has amnesia, and Triss, and there, there is, in the first game, you can choose whether to romance her or romance Shani. And no matter what, in Chapter 3, Triss forcibly sleeps with you. And then in Witcher 2, no matter what your choices were, in order for the story to work, you have to have been in a relationship with Triss. So it just retcons whatever your decision was in the previous game. So it has the unintended consequence when Yin shows back up in Witcher 3 of, oh, Triss is a rapist. Yikes. Yeah. She took advantage of her friend who has amnesia to sleep with him. And she was like, oh, you, you, you had a daughter with a sorceress, but she doesn't say what sorceress, and she implies it's her. And there's this entire thing of, I don't know if it was intentional. I know in Witcher 40, it was intentional to call her out on it, because they do make a thing out of that. But I don't know if the previous writers, because there were writing shifts and whatnot, uh, she was just a supplement for Yen, and we didn't really care. But it accidentally makes her look really bad. Mm. Um, and... That's just led to the ongoing fight, especially because Witcher 3 is the one that really hit off and became the cultural phenomenon it is. Which means most people have not played Witcher 1 or 2, so they don't have that context. So they see pretty redhead, or bitchy, you know, raven-haired, and um, I like Yen. Yen's my favorite, but also Yen makes the most sense for Geralt, but the large majority of the audience is going to pick the nice, pretty redhead. And uh, as a result... Uh, that has led to the waifu wars or shipping wars or whatever you want to call it of the, the Witcher fandom, which really drives me up the wall because to me, there is no war. It, it, it's Yen. <laughs> um, and it's kind of ludicrous to uh, think anything else. And it mainly comes from the games. I agree. Kudos to the show. I expected them to lean heavily into that. When, they, when season one was announced and I saw that most of the writers were CW writers, I was fully expecting full-on... Triskian love triangle. Um, I'm I'm very impressed that they've really shot that down as much as they can, and while they do acknowledge it, it's the same way the books acknowledge it, where Geralt really is just in love with Yen, and he's kind of in this weird predicament with Triss that he doesn't really know how to handle. I, I think it's just interesting how a lot of this episode has been discussing po uh, pop culture perception of the the series, you know. A lot of the first thing I did not start playing Witcher 3 or start reading the books until my final year of uni. My first year of uni, 
was when Witcher 3 came out, and it was a massive cultural thing. I got to hear on campus from some of my friends about Witcher as a thing before I ever picked it up. One of the first things I heard was from an ex-member of my society who you've met once, named Hal. Um, and uh, he used to be the leader of the society when I was just a lowly member. He was We were talking video game romance and how that's handled and how it, it kind of comes off as cheesy. Uh, and, uh, and, and he brought up the, the Triss Yen thing. That's the first experience I ever had uh, with Witcher. Um, that's my first memory of it. Um, you know, not experiencing it for myself, but hearing about the Triss Yen thing. So uh, I, I do think that's interesting how that has pervaded the way we talk about the series, even though when you pick up the books, there is no debate there, as you have said yourself, coming from the show, reading the books, like, yeah, what, what's there to talk about? There is no love triangle here, you know? Yeah, that is interesting. Because mm -hmm. going into the series, I was expecting the worst of Tris because of you, you mentioned all bad stuff about her. I was aware of the whole, you know, non-consensual sex thing. But she just comes across re really sweet in the show uh, and in the books. You know, the books go more mm. into more her more darker elements. If I remember correctly, the show doesn't really go into the whole you know nope. sex thing, which yeah, I'm fair to them. Um, but yeah, hearing this now, now I get the whole negative awe around this and how the video games, I guess, really miscalculated in yeah. in how they presented it. I, I should say I. I my perception of Triss is not only because of my love of Yen, Yen's my favorite character in the saga, but also like I before the show came out, you know, I was in this fandom just prior to the show, and as such, I dealt with you know the the after effects of Witcher Three, which was Team Yen, Team Triss, and being someone who picked up the books as soon as I could after playing Witcher Three. To me, that entire debate was absurd. And as someone who spends a lot of time on the internet perusing Reddit and stuff, you know, I got to hear people call Yen a bitch and stuff like that. It's like, okay, like, I don't agree with you, um, but, you know, you're, you're entitled to your opinion and you should really read the books to fully understand that this character is a deeply flawed woman um, and isn't going to be perfect because this book series is about imperfect people. Um, it's interesting how someone from the other side of the fandom can come to view that. It, it, it's just a thing that, that propped up. And, and like, I, I don't mind Triss as a character. I think she's well-written. Her most egregious thing outside of the, the non-consensual thing is a thing that will happen in later books that I won't get into because of spoilers. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is a thing that is pretty much the turning point for anybody who picks up the books to go, oh, okay. Um, this isn't, you know, pretty redhead in game. This is a different character, uh, almost entirely. And me and Claudia actually talked about it in a retrospective that CD Projekt Red, the developers of the games, went through great lengths to rewrite Triss to, uh, to make her more presentable as a love interest. No, that was my final question for you. You have any questions for me? Yeah, I've got one. So at the time of recording this, I haven't started Time of Contempt yet. So maybe if I had, I would have answered my own question. But going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, how this isn't a normal structured book, when I finished chapter seven, and I won't, I'll try not to go into too much detail, but when I finished that chapter, when I finished the whole book, it felt like finishing the first half of a story. You know, I get mm -hmm. the vibe. If a lot of people, you know, let's say uh, a more younger audience read this without knowing what the author was going for, if they read the ending, I imagine they would have found it very anticlimactic. So my question to you is, would it have worked better if this book and Time of Contempt were one bigger book, does the ending of this one lead naturally into Time of Contempt? Hard question. Here's the thing. All the books happen pretty much, well, in the pentology, almost happen one right after the other. There's very minimal time that passes between each book. So we will pick up with Yen and Siri on the road in the first chapter of Time of Contempt. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they were heading out from Atlander. They're on the road. I don't consider that a spoiler. Um, you know, there is no time that passes, so you can pick one right up right after the other. No time jump or anything like that. However, Time of Contempt is a very, very fast book. And what I mean by that is a lot of stuff happens, and um, 
I sometimes forget that one chapter that comes right after another big chapter is just as big and is just as important. And I'm go, oh, that that happened one right after the other. And it's like that mind boggles me because it is so like it's impactful and it's like being hit over the head just with bad stuff because time contemptus when shit gets real um, for everyone and uh, life does not go well for anyone. Uh, like I said, when we talked about Kara Morin, this is the time when her life is happy. <laughs> Let her have happiness. Um, <laughs> in the modern sense of it, we expect fantasy books to be these massive tomes. I mean, pick up a Brandon Sanderson book. You know, um, those those things are fucking massive. You could drop it and break a stone, I swear. <laughs> and as someone who reads primarily audiobooks because of an eye condition... Uh, when I pick up a Brandon Sanderson book and I realize I have 48 hours to get through, I go, dear Lord, back in the olden days, you know, books were a lot shorter, you know, uh, and we still see some of that, uh, you know, NaNoWriMo uh, still has the old uh, 50,000 word count, uh, which by today's standards is not considered a book, it's considered a novella, but when NaNoWriMo was created, that was considered a book. And to those who don't know, uh, NaNoWriMo stands for National Writing Month. It takes place in November, um, and it's a uh, it's a whole thing for writers, especially. I don't think Blood of Elves and Time of Contempt be squished into one book because it will make it seem incredibly unbalanced. Um, I think they work better as separate books. However, in adapting this work, I would have moved some stuff from Time of Contempt into this book to fill out the season. Mm. I probably would have moved Yen and Ciri's adventures and Gora's villain up into here, uh, into Blood of Elves, and make that a continuation of the training chapter, so uh, to, to sort of bulk out the season as a show. But, no, I don't think that they should be one book. Um, and... Like I said, it's a difficult question, and it's also based on personal preference. Um, you know, if you combine them in two books, some people might enjoy that. You know, um, like we talked about at the beginning of this, the plotlessness of Blood of Elves drives some people up the wall, whereas Time of Contempt is very focused and very fast that, um, in my opinion, if you squish them together, it'd be unfocused. We have this really slow, much more character building section, and all of a sudden everything ramps up to 11, where some people might prefer that. Um, so I think it's a case-by-case -case basis, but be honest, um, I'm taking this chapter-by-chapter chapter and stuff, but I do view The Witcher Saga, all eight books, as one whole. So like how I view Babylon 5, you know, that's five seasons, but it's all one whole. It's hard for me to separate it out because I know everything that's coming. And because of that, I see the buildup and I see the, the warrant and the slowness. So um, that is a difficult question that I think is really up to the personal reader, whether that uh, that is a thing that should happen or not. All right. Well, thank you again for joining me. Um, and you'll be back for some time in Time of Contempt, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, he'll probably be sticking on. He said that uh, he's going to continue his Witcher journey, so we'll probably have him on uh, at least, hopefully, he doesn't have to be, but hopefully at least one chapter every book, just to, as a check-in. Yeah, I'm all aboard the Witcher train. I'll be a... Uh... <laughs> I probably won't be a very speedy reader about it, but I'm sure, like you said, maybe at least one chapter a book. I think that'll be fun. I do enjoy this little uh, audio book club we've got going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun. You know, I, I love talking Witcher with people, and uh, and it's fun to take someone through these books, especially because, you know, uh, it is... It's a fantasy series, and some people look at it and don't see like this uh, grand epic and get really disappointed. And for me, it's exactly what I wanted in fantasy that fantasy never gives me. So uh, I'm just happy to experience vicariously through you. Um, I got one of my friends, and uh, another one of my friends who you don't know, but uh, he's in part of my D&D group, into Babylon 5 recently. And it's been nice. fun li living vicariously through him what it was like going through that the first time and going, oh, you got the Babylon squared. Yeah, you're, you're texting me now, what the fuck? But uh, uh, you'll, you'll understand in two seasons. And I'm really sad I can't watch that without the memory of War Without End so I can experience that what the fuck all over again. 
Uh, so it's fun doing that with this, with you. Next time, we will uh, cover chapter six. And, well, Siri must die for reasons of state. Until then, <laughs> see you next time. Bye. Fare thee well. Bye.